All right. Let's turn the book of Ephesians to uh, chapter 6 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. We're in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. We've been talking about spiritual warfare and um, just kind of looking back through these verses. And we know that Paul tells us in in chapter 6 verse 10 to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He tells us verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And uh, he goes on to relate that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, uh, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He says again in verse 13, taking to you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand on the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And so he says in verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and then he says, and having on the breastplate, of righteousness. Let's go ahead and bow once again to the Lord in prayer. Brother Barr, would you please lead us in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the message that we're going to hear tonight. We'll just be with your message, be the messenger. We'll just uh, help us to uh, draw closer to you to be able to withstand uh, the devil. Lord, help us to do the things that we need. Lord, just strengthen us and encourage us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. We're talking tonight about the breastplate of righteousness and spiritual warfare, and specifically, we're talking about how to stand against the satanic attacks that we're confronted with every single day. Uh, last week, we looked at the fact that Satan will attack you with lies and deception. Amen. He's going to lie. He's going to twist the truth. He's going to plant thoughts in your mind that are going to make you begin to doubt and wonder and all those different things. And so therefore we must stand in God's truth, or as Paul put it, uh, to stand wearing the belt of truth. And that's one of the things that I want, I, we need to separate in our minds as we look through these different pieces of, uh, of God's armor, is that we're not, he's using the physical to relate to something else, to relate to the spiritual the spiritual part of what we're looking here is what we need to grab a hold of. We don't need to sit around and think about belts and breastplates. We need to think about what these things are that he is telling us about. The first thing that he said we need to stand in is we need to stand in truth. Why? Because that binds together and pulls together and arranges everything in its proper order and place. If we don't know what the truth is, then we're not going to be able to stand in the other parts of God's armor either. And so the first part is to to have on that belt of truth. But the next thing that he goes on and talks about is this breastplate of righteousness. What we're going to find is that Satan will not only attack you with lies, but he'll also attack you with temptation. Most of us already know that. Uh, we've been there. We've done that. We've, we've been through those temptations. But here's what I want you to understand. Satan wants to destroy your righteousness. Right. Satan wants to destroy your righteousness. Amen. He wants you in sin. Right. He wants you to live in sin. Right. Why? Because if he can get you off balance, if he can get you in sin then he can, get, he can basically render you unuseful and unusable in the service and in the kingdom of God. Amen. 
Now again, that comes back into that lies and deceits. He wants to attack your righteousness. He wants to get you in sin so that he can lie to you and tell you that God can never forgive you for what you've just done. It's a whole web of things that he's created and that he's working in to try to keep you at bay or to knock you down and keep you from getting back up. He knows what he's doing. He's a fierce opponent. And so he's not only going to lie to you, but he's going to attack you. He wants you to sin and he wants you to live in sin. Now let's make an important distinction here when we talk about righteousness. There's a difference between positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Now positional righteousness is what you received at the point of salvation. Alright? You were put in a position And as we notice in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, your position is in Christ. And we keep seeing that over and over and over again, that phrase, in Christ. You have a positional righteousness in Christ. You have not your own righteousness, but you have His righteousness. So there is a positional righteousness that you received at the point of salvation. Now, when it comes to your standing before God, your position, understand that you are covered with the blood and you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And nothing and no one can take that away from you. That righteousness cannot be changed and Satan cannot attack that righteousness because it's not yours, it's Christ's. It is, as Paul put it in another book, it is imputed righteousness. Which is just a fancy way of saying that it's righteousness that has been credited from his account to our account. If you remember, we went through the Beatitudes when we studied through Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about Beatitudes and the first Beatitude is what? To be poor in spirit. And what do we say that it means to be poor in spirit? We said it means to acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy before God. That when it really comes down to it, nobody in here has their own righteousness. That any righteousness that you have or ever will have can only come from the one who is righteous. You'll never be able to produce your own. That is imputed righteousness. It's where we were bankrupt when it came to righteousness, but God said, that's okay, I'll give you some of mine. And so we stand in His righteousness. This imputed or credited righteousness of God has been applied to our spirits, and it's eternal and it's unchanging. Satan can, however, understand this. Satan can, however, attack your practical Righteousness. You see, positional righteousness is who we are. Practical righteousness is what we do. While Satan cannot change who we are in Christ, he can influence us as people. And if Satan can lure us into sin, then we will feel isolated from God and rendered useless as Christian influences in this world. Therefore, if Satan can attack our righteousness, we must learn to stand and practice God's righteousness. Let me sum that up, put it in different terms. Here's the thing. You're saved. Your spirit is sealed until the day of redemption. 
And there has been planted the seed of God's righteousness that cannot be attacked and it cannot be taken away. But the righteousness that you practice, the good things that you do, can be attacked. Satan can attack your actions and he can attack your motives and he can attack your thoughts and your words. Your practical things, the things that you do can be attacked. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. The fact that you do have righteousness that can't be touched, but you have righteousness that can be attacked. And that's where Satan's going to come at you every single time. And listen, if he can lure you into sin and destroy you in it, he absolutely will. I want us to look at just three things tonight. The first one's going to take a long time. But we are going to talk about self-righteousness versus God's righteousness. And uh, I want to just start here. That the temptation that almost all of us have when it comes to phrases like put on the breastplate of righteousness or when we're told to be holy for I am holy, the temptation that we all have at some time is to try harder to do better. We read things like this, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so what we do is we walk away from that verse and we say, all right, I'm going to try the best that I can to do better about being righteous. Anybody been there? Anybody failed at that? All right. We've all been there. We've all failed at that. And this is what I want you to understand. That is not at all what Paul is saying here or what God has inspired Paul to say here. But what we do is we begin trying to manufacture our own righteousness. In other words, we start to smile at things that make us angry. We say, I'm going to be more righteous. I'm going to be better. I'm going to try harder. And so somebody says something that makes you angry. And what do you do? You try to put on some righteousness. You try to say, I'm going to choose to smile at that rather than do what I really want to do, which is punch them right in the nose. Right? Anybody ever been there? I'm going to try harder. And that will last for a little while, but understand you will spew one day. You are going to burst. You're going to explode. It's going to happen. You cannot pretend to be righteous for very long. We either try to do that. We either try to to mask, you know, um, know, when somebody does something that makes us angry, we try to smile. Or sometimes we'll try to even frown at things that usually would make us laugh or bring us pleasure. Anybody ever frowned at the joke that you knew was funny? Like, I know that's funny, but I'm not supposed to laugh at that. Anybody ever done that? What are you trying to do? You're trying to mask. You're trying to show on the outside that you really don't think that way or feel that way on the inside. It's self-righteousness is what I'm getting at. It's fake righteousness. And listen, I'm going to be making statements like that all through this this period of the message. But please understand that I'm not standing here and pointing at you and saying that what you're doing is fake. I'm acknowledging what I see in my own life and I'm calling that fake. I'm calling that any time that we try to muster up or try to be righteous on our own, it's going to turn out to be fake righteousness. And I'm saying that if you identify that in your own life, then you get to call it what it is yourself. Understand that there is a certain level of responsibility on our part to do what is right 
and forsake what is wrong. I'm not saying that, that uh, we, have, we have no part in this or that we don't do anything. Of course, you have to make decisions. You have to say, that is right, and I'm going to do it because it's right. And you have to say, that's wrong, and I'm going to do it because it's wrong. But the point here is that there's a difference between being a righteous person and playing a righteous person. That's the difference that I, I want to point out today. That you can either be a righteous person or you can keep trying to play a righteous person. By the way, nobody likes the guy that plays the righteous person. Because it becomes very bitter, very judgmental, and very self-righteous. And the way they present themselves, and the way that they talk, and the way they judge everything that everybody else does. Righteousness is not just doing the right things. It's also the motivation behind why we do those things. It's like the boy who was told by his teacher to sit down. He didn't want to sit down, but he knew that he would suffer if he didn't, so he sat down. Yet in his heart he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And there's some of us that say, I don't really want to do that, but I know I'm supposed to, so I do it on the outside, but inside I'm really rebelling against this. And I think a lot of us live our lives that way. Righteousness is not grudgingly doing the right things. It's not fake it till you make it. That's not what God's righteousness is. Because if we do nothing more than make an outward show of righteousness, whether it's covering our own sin or showing indignation at the sins of others, then we are no better than the Pharisees of Jesus' day, who Jesus called whited sepulchers or painted tombs. He said that they appear beautiful to men on the outside, but inside they were full of rot and decay. Listen, that's not righteousness. That's not God's righteousness. It's a show. It's a fraud. This makes a person think that he or she is living for God when in fact they're working for the devil. I'm not, as I've pointed out several times, if I'm here long enough, it'll be true though. I'm still not a very old person, right? One day I will be. But I'm still not a very old person. But I've been in church for a long time. And I've been around Christians for a long time. And through my years of being a Christian, I have seen some people look down on others for stuff that they said or stuff that they did. I mean, bring high judgment down on them. Like the wrath of God stuff. Uh, James and John wanting to call down lightning and thunder on people because of things that they did. When I knew for a fact that some of the stuff they said and did wasn't any worse than what this person had done. Amen. But what were they doing? They were making a show of righteousness. And I think somewhere along the way, Christians started getting this idea that if we start being against everything, that it makes us look more righteous or more pious. That was exactly the philosophy of the Pharisees. And let me tell you this. That didn't bother me as bad as the times in my life where I have looked at people down my nose and I have looked at what they've done and I have made those kind of judgments when I know in my heart that the things that I have thought, said, and done are no worse than what they have. So what was I trying to do? 
see, we get this idea that if we squash the other guy, we get to step up on him and look better to everybody else. But when Paul said, put on the breastplate of righteousness, he didn't say make a show of righteousness. He's talking about putting on true righteousness, putting on God's righteousness. And that's what we're going to find as we continue looking through uh, our verse tonight. Listen, Satan wants to attack your righteousness, and he'll either do it so by tempting you with open sin or helping you to settle with a false sense of righteousness. But I want you to know that God's righteousness is much different. God's righteousness is not a show. God's righteousness does not puff people up, and God's righteousness does not push people away. God's righteousness is not an outward coat of holiness to conceal an inward rot of wickedness. But God's righteousness begins on the inside and it grows until it's manifested on the outside. It's true, it's genuine, and it works. Now here's the best thing about God's righteousness. If you are a true child of God sitting in this room tonight, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. If you are a child of God, you already have God's righteousness. Not something you've got to get. Not something you have to find. It's something you've got to get in touch with. You've got to get in tune with. Something you've got to submit to. But God's righteousness is already planted deep within your spirit. And the key to accessing and unleashing the awesome power of God's righteousness is really found in one word. Oh, we've got a key to a lot of different things. Some people will give you this, this is the key to a successful marriage. This is the key to a happy life. It's the key to whatever. I'm going to give you the key tonight to accessing the awesome power of God's righteousness. I think it's really bundled up all in one word. Submission. If you want to conquer in God's kingdom, it starts right where we talked about this morning. It starts by falling at Jesus' feet. It starts by lowering lowering yourself, lowering your wants, your needs, your expectations, and submitting yourself to the authority of God in your life. Here's what you need to understand. The Holy Spirit, we talk about, everybody believes that the Holy Spirit indwells us when we're saved, right? You know that? Hey, listen, if you don't know that, let me tell you this tonight. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit of God lives in your spirit right now. He has taken up residence. We call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But here's what what I want you to understand. The Spirit doesn't indwell you to work for you. He's not just there so that you have salvation. He's not just there so that you have security. He's not just there so that you're sealed until the day of redemption, although all those things are true. He's not just there to lead you and to guide you or to speak to you and all this. The Spirit is not there to work for you. Please understand this. The Holy Spirit is in your life, is in your heart, has been planted in you so that you'll begin to work with Him. 
And here's what I think God's intention of His Spirit being planted in your heart and life is this. That eventually His Spirit will have total domination over your thought and life. Over your actions. That He will conquer every room in your heart. And listen, that's not a bad thing. You've done it your way long enough. But if you'll let Him, He'll teach you how to do it His way. The key to accessing God's righteousness, the power that comes with God's righteousness, it's all wrapped up in the word submit. Submission to God and to His Spirit. Some of you say, I know I'm saved. I know I should be living righteously, but it feels like something's getting in the way. It feels like something's always hindering me from doing what God wants me to do. Like something's always just there to trip me up or there to put a wall in front of me. Every time that I want to do God's will, I'm going to tell you what that is. It's you. You are your biggest hindrance to God's work and will being done in your life. You are. Not Satan. Satan can only get away with what we let him get away with. Now that wasn't true before Christ, but in Christ that's true. Satan can only get away in your life with what we let him get away with. This is a truth you need to understand as a Christian that God could control you against your will. He has the power to do that. But He won't. Satan probably wants to control you, but he can't. Unless you give him permission to. Let me tell you this. If you want to be a puppet... And give your strings to Satan. He'll play with you all day long. He'll put you in his special little sideshow where you get to be a star attraction. But I hope that's not what you want for your life. Because that's not what God wants for your life. You see, God made us free agents. He gave us a will. And that will decides whether we control our lives, whether Satan controls our lives, or whether God controls our lives. Your will is like the reins on a horse. If you give the horse the reins, he'll just wander aimlessly through the prairie. If you give the reins to a wicked man, then he'll use, abuse, and sacrifice that horse for his own purposes. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do with your reins. With your life. But if you give the reins to a good master, then he'll train, nourish, and use that horse to its full purpose and potential. And this is how we are made. This is how you were created. You were created with a free will under the intent that you will freely offer your will to the authority of God. 
Now, all of us, I would say all of us at some point, have been through all three of these rings. There have been times where we said, I'm taking the reins of my life. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, whatever. There have been times that we handed the reins over to Satan and we just, it was like we just lost control and we're just doing whatever felt right or whatever and Satan was in complete control of our lives. Many of us, though, have given the reins to God at times. Amen. And I think if you were to look back, those are some of the happiest, most meaningful times in your life. Because you weren't made to govern yourself. You weren't made to follow other gods. But you were made to align your will and your life with your Creator. And listen, that's where we find God's righteousness. That still small voice that leads you to do good and forsake sin. That is the Spirit of God who possesses the righteousness of God. And when He prompts or He guides or He convicts you, that is Him saying, I want to reign over this part of your life. If you want to stand against Satan by wearing the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, then your answer when He calls is simply this. Yes, Lord. You know, if you'll allow it, the Holy Spirit will even become a censor in your life. So that when you're hearing or listening or watching or thinking about things that shouldn't be, He will convict before you ever get to the sinful part of that. He'll convict you. He'll stop you before you ever get there. Just say, don't do this, don't go that way, come back over here. You know what, when we take the reins in our own hands, that's when we drive straight into sin, when we say, yes, Lord. We just hear the voice of our Master coming back. Then what we're doing is we're giving Him authority over one more area of our life. We're saying, yes, Lord, I'm giving You the authority to tell me when I can't do this and when I can't do that. Or when God says, go and do this, or go and speak to that person, or, or go and be involved in this, then we're giving Him the authority in our lives saying, yes, I'm going to make You Lord over this part of my life. And I think the idea is that we just keep doing that. Keep giving God more and more and more authority and territory in our life. And listen, it's only then that we're going to be able to say that we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Now let's talk about the breastplate of righteousness just very quickly. On a Roman soldier, the breastplate was a piece of armor that was designed to protect basically one thing, and that is the heart. If an enemy soldier could jab a sword or shoot an arrow into the heart of a Roman soldier, of course it could destroy him. And so the breastplate was worn to protect the heart. Paul said, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because if Satan can attack your heart, if he can attack your mind, your will, and your emotions, then he can control and destroy you. But allowing God's righteousness to dominate your heart will serve as an impenetrable breastplate of armor for your soul. And so instead of falling and failing, here's what happens. You start standing
I think a lot of us can identify with Paul and what he said in Romans chapter 7, where all the things he doesn't want to do, he winds up doing, and the things that he knows he should do, those are the very things he's not doing. And it's just a constant cycle of every time you're wanting to do right, in God's eyes you know what's right, and you want to do what's right, and the will is there, but then suddenly you see yourself or you find yourself doing exactly the opposite of that. Anybody tired of that? We're not talking about living a sinless life. We're gonna, you're going to sin until you die. But you don't have to live in sin. The last thing I want to share with you is how to put on God's righteousness. And I really think that a couple things need to be in place here. If you're going to wear, to put on and wear the righteousness of God, and I think one of the most important things that needs that we have to have, or we, that needs to be present in our life, is for us to confess sin. Listen, there are two different types of confession I want to talk to you about. The first is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I quote that verse quite often, but that is repentant confession. That's where we are repenting of our sin and confessing what we've thought, said, or done to God. And in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, Oh, it's in there somewhere. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that says? That says that if I commit a sin that I have forgiveness. It's already been paid for. It's already bought for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't need to give Satan time to tell us that we can't go get it. It's provided. If if we're truly sorry, if we're truly repentant of our sin, we can go and we need to confess that sin. I'm going to tell you, one of the most destructive things in the life of any Christian is sin that is not being confessed. When you sin and you don't go to God, and you sin again, and, and you start just... And now your life is just sinning and sinning and sinning. And you look back and you can't remember the last time you even talked to God. That's living in unconfessed sin. And basically what that student is saying, Satan, here you go. Here's my reins. You drive me around however you want to. But when we confess sin every time it takes place, what we're doing is saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. I know it was wrong, but I still want you to be in control of my life. Lord, I'm sorry that I pulled those reins away from you, but I want to give them right back to you. I'm confessing my sin. I'm sorry for what I've done. I need your forgiveness. Lord, help me to keep my eyes and my heart focused on you. We confess that sin. That helps to keep our heart pure. It helps us to stay in, in touch or in tune with the righteousness of God that's already within us. But as long as you have sin that is not being confessed in your life, you're not going to be able to live in that righteousness that God has provided Now, the next thing is not only repentant confession, but preemptive confession. Preemptive means before it happens. And those are those times where you're being tempted. And please understand this. Being tempted to sin is not a sin. It's just a precursor to whatever you're going to do next. And every time that you're tempted, you don't have to sin. You don't have to give in to that. We do a lot of times, but you don't have to. As a child of God, you have the power and the authority to say no to the devil, get away from me. 
James said, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have the power to say no to temptation. And here's what we do. If we will take every thought captive, every time a sinful thought, every time a sinful temptation comes in, before we ever act on it, take it straight to God. Say, God, I know what I'm being tempted of. I don't want to go that way. We give that to God. You know it's a lot easier to walk away from that after we do this, after we go to God with it. Now, you might say, okay, you might resist and say, I'm not going to do it here, but you don't go talk to God. You might resist it a couple more times, but you never go talk to God. But you know that if you keep on doing that, eventually you're just going to fall into it. But if you'll take it to God every single time. Think over in 1 Corinthians, it, it talks about taking every thought captive. And we deliver those thoughts to God. We confess those thoughts. We get those thoughts back in the right order, in proper order. Then we're more readily able to access and live in God's righteousness. And then I want to just talk about one other thing. You're not only confessing sin, but nourishing your spirit. First of all, to nourish your spirit, you need to feed on God's word. In James chapter 1 and verse uh, 21 through 25, he says there, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But look at this, verse 25. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If you want to nourish your spirit, if you want to walk in the righteousness of God, you've got to feed your spirit. You have to nourish your spirit through a steady diet in God's Word. And that's something we say all the time, something that you can tell me. If I asked you, how do you do that? You would say, you need to read God's Word every day. And it's true, we need to feed off of the Word of God. Second, we need to exercise our spiritual senses. And in Hebrews chapter 5, I want to read just a couple verses here that I think are interesting. I promise we're almost done. But just a couple more verses here. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 13 and 14 says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What does it mean to have your spiritual senses exercised? I think exercise means to become skillful in that. I don't think you're just talking about going to the spiritual gym and working your senses out. But it means to exercise. It means to become skillful in discerning what's right and wrong in your spirit. If you, listen to me, if you have trouble identifying and knowing that God is working and speaking in your heart and life, There's a problem. And you're not going to walk in God's ways. You're going to walk in your ways. Or you're going to be listening to the wrong voices. If you want to 
nourish your spirit, then you're going to have to practice. I think this is what it's saying. Practice listening and obeying the spirit of God. And I'm going to tell you this about God that I have found out the hard way in my life. That if you stop listening to the Holy Spirit long enough, He'll either stop speaking or His his voice will become so muffled that you're not able to hear it. Amen. That's not saying that, that you'll, He'll never work in your heart or speak to your heart again. What I'm saying is on a daily basis, if you continue to be, if, if you know that God's leading you or, or telling you to do something, I don't think God asks us to do very much. But if you feel God leading or telling you to do something and you say no, you will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You're going to find it difficult to hear Him in future adventures with Him. Nourish your spirit by exercising, by practicing spiritual your spiritual senses, by listening to the Holy Spirit of God and obeying whatever it is that He says to do. And then the third thing that I have here is to enjoy Christian fellowship. And these really are the last verses that I want you to turn to. But it's right here in the book of Hebrews. If you turn with me to chapter 5, uh, then just flip over with me to chapter 10. And I want to read verses 24 and 25. Now most all of us are already familiar with Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, which says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now that is the verse that preachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers and everybody we've all used for so many years when somebody's missing church to take it and say, look, it even says in the Bible, don't miss church because that's forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And let me tell you, I think it's exactly what he's saying. But we don't need to overlook something else. We can't read verse 25 and miss what he says in verse 24. Verse 24, he says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. There's a reason why you need to be among Christian brothers and sisters. There's a reason. It's not so that you can clock in and say, I I did my church service today. It's not so that you you can say, "I, I went to the meeting But there's a reason why God has designed this entity to gather together on a daily and weekly basis. And it's to provoke one another to love and good works. It's to encourage one another and help one another and pray for one another and strengthen one another. And if you're missing church, you're missing out on that. And I'll tell you, this is not trying to boost our church attendance, but I'm just going to be honest with you. That if you begin missing that, it's not going to be long before all those other things are going to fall by the wayside. It all works together. It's not one and some. It's, it's not this and that. It's, it all works together. And if you want to access the righteousness of God in your life, and I think these are practical ways for putting on the, breast, uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness, is number one, to make sure that you are confessing sin. And number two, make sure that you are daily nourishing your spirit. When you do that, you're going to tap into God's righteousness. And when you tap into God's righteousness, you're not going to have to fake it. You're not going to have to try. You're not going to have to do better. But when you tap into His righteousness, when your heart becomes yielded to Him, suddenly He's going to start 
saying and doing and thinking and feeling things through you that you wouldn't naturally do on your own. I think that's really what this, this is all about, what the Christian life is supposed to be. So he tells us, if you want to stand against the wiles of the devil, first of all, you've got to put on not your armor, you've got to put on God's armor. And in God's armor, you've got to make sure that you put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Not yours. God's. Why? So that we can stand against the attacks and the pressures that Satan's going to send our way. The fiery darts of our enemy.